everyone, and welcome to Convos from the Couch by Life Stands Health. I'm Nikki Lianza, and I'm so honored to have Carl Nasser on today from our Fort Collins, Colorado office. Welcome, Carl. Yeah, thank you for having me, Nikki. I appreciate the chance to be here. We're going to be talking a little bit about beyond therapy, kind of really what works, what is it about therapy that really works? So I think we're going to have great conversations about that today. So as we jump in, tell us a little bit about yourself, Carl. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I like to tell people I got to counseling the very, very long way. Uh, growing up, my parents said I could be a doctor or an engineer, and I problem solved better than I memorized. So I said, well, we'll go the engineering route. So I ended up getting a bachelor's, master's, doctorate in engineering, wow. uh, taught, uh, got a tenure track position uh, in, in engineering uh, faculty at Colorado State University, uh, taught there for seven years, did, built a research lab there, got tenured, and then much to my parents' utter dismay, I resigned from my position. I got new degrees in counseling psychology. I uh, opened a private practice that I ran for somewhere around 12, 13 years. Uh, and then uh, in about uh, oh, late 2013, I decided I'd grow that into a, what I thought would be a small group practice. And over the course of the next seven years, we grew to about 200 providers and wow. 50 support staff across Colorado. And then um, our friends from Life Stance came along and said, would you like to be part of the Life Stance family? And um, we uh, checked each other out and liked each other and said, sure, let's do this together. Uh, and so for the last couple of years, I've been the executive director for Life Stance Colorado. Cool. How different is it for you to go from engineering, which I dare call it, see, just that, that really hard science kind of arena to more, I dare call it more like a softer science arena of yeah. like counseling and psychology. What was that transition like for you? What's that been like? You know, it's interesting. I've, I think that what I always liked most about the work I did whether it was engineering or whatever it had been, was the relationships. Uh, you know, as an engineering professor, I liked my relationships with my students, my graduate students in my labs, my undergrad students who I was teaching. It was really the heart of what I fell in love with were the relationships. And I really wanted to work in a field where the relationships were the work, as opposed to the relationships were sort of secondary to the getting it done part of the work. Um, and so counseling really spoke to me and I sort of marveled at the fact that there was this field where I could just be in relationship with people. And that was, that itself was the work. And I, yeah. I've really have been grateful that, that uh, to be able to do this work with all the people I've had a chance to do it with. So you mentioned relationships, which I, I we know how important relationships are just in general, just as humans, people, even for our, our pets and animals, just that connection to others. But Let's talk about it from the point of view of, of therapy. You know, how, how do you develop a good therapeutic connection with your clients? Yeah, you know, I think what's interesting about um, counseling, I'm gonna sort of deviate a little bit from your question and come back around to yeah, it. Sure. Um, it's sort of this question of um, what is therapy? And what is it really? Um, you know, why does it work? How does it work? What makes it work? What makes it tick? Um, you know, uh, way back when, when Freud um, had sort of began to create the field of psychotherapy, um, he really began in a very relational way. We don't tend to think of Freud as a very relational guy. Right. But his, early, his very early therapy was really quite relational. Um, and then he, he began to feel like 
this wasn't going to get acceptance in the mainstream scientific community that he wanted to really be a part of. Um, and so he sort of medicalized his therapy model and came up with these psychosexual stages of development and the way the brain works. And, um, and it sort of derailed the, the counseling field for about a hundred years uh, until sort of in the late in the sixties began to come back around to relationship again. And, you know, uh, person-centered therapy by Carl Rogers really began to emphasize the, the value and merit of contact and relationship. Um, and, you know, what, what, what we know now, I mean, the data is really, I mean, the data is absolutely convincing, um, is number one, therapy works. Um, that people who do therapy report far better outcomes in terms of feeling better about themselves, that they were depressed, how they feel after therapy as opposed to not having therapy. We know therapy works. But what makes it work? And what we know now is that the relationship is at the heart of what makes it work. Um, we know now that, um, that uh, if you look at the number one factor predicting the outcome of therapy, regardless of modality, modality is almost a not mattering factor, is the quality of the relationship between the client and the therapist. And the number two factor is the client's belief and the therapist's ability to heal. Not the therapist's ability to heal, the client's belief. Yeah. <laughs> the therapist, because if you believe somebody can help you, yeah. then you're much more likely to be helped by it. Um, so really, you know, when you think about therapy um, and you wonder, well, should I do this modality or that modality? I think what matters far more than that is, am I working with somebody who I really feel cares about me? And if I could pull it a little bit further and just use the word loosely, am I working with somebody who I really feel loves me. And I mean, loves me in a romantic way. And I don't mean loves me in the way you might love your daughter. Uh, I just mean loves me in a way that I can feel the genuineness of that care. And that, that's almost palatable. Uh, because we know now that healing happens in a caring relationship. We know now, understanding how brains work, that if you put a brain, please bring your whole body with it, but if you put a brain into a therapy space, and you love that person, and by that I mean have a genuine, caring, heartfelt presence with them, um, and you really uh, create a space where there's a real sense of safety, and the person has had, say, a traumatic event, and they allow themselves to emotionally start to talk about that traumatic event, and now they re-experience that traumatic event in the presence of the real loving presence of the clinician, of the therapist, um, that very act alters the way the brain begins to perceive that event. <clears throat> and it changes both the affective quality of that event and actually the way that event is remembered. Um, but it takes a lot of safety and a lot of building up that care and building up that trust and relationship for people to touch into these pain points that understandably they've had to cover up the function for so long. What I also hear you saying, it, it sounds like it even rewires the brain for the client. You know, to if if we look at the therapeutic relationship as a little microcosm of how maybe our clients navigate their own relationships, you know, it sounds like what a good clinician does or a therapist does is set a safe platform for the person to feel safe and vulnerable. I think you're emphasizing that safety is so key, and so with that, for them to be to feel that they're allowed to go deeper, to feel like they're not gonna be judged or emotionally, emotionally harmed is so key to the connection that they'll 
feel to the therapist as well. So. Yeah, and there's a part there that you brought up, Nikki. I'm really glad you brought it up. But it could be, you know, um, one part about therapy is that um, if you stay in the therapeutic relationship long enough, what starts to happen, you see, most people learned about relationship from the people that taught them first about relationship. And the people that taught them first about relationship were their family of origins. And no knock on anybody's family of origin, but you know, most parents have their own traumas, their own issues that they bring into their relationships. And then um, kids learn how to adapt to those family of origin environments. And they start to um, give up in some ways their natural selves and, and become a bit more of an adaptive self so that they can make sure that they are um, safe in their relationship with their parents. So their parents are gonna keep loving them and in their own minds, keep feeding them and keep them alive and keep them going. Right. Right. Um, and, um, and so, you know, what, what, um, what ideally happens in a therapeutic relationship is in the safety of that space, people start to open up into expressing more of their natural self the self that they had to learn to tuck away so early on in life. Um, and they start to allow their natural self to emerge and they start to gain a comfort in just being who they naturally are in a relationship with the clinician. And the adaptive self starts to fade away more and more. And as they test that in this relationship, uh, mm -hmm. this clinical relationship, then hopefully they bring that more and more into their everyday relationships with everybody else. So that this becomes a... Um, sort of a, a, a platform in which you start to allow uh, yourself to adapt to a healthy relationship, a healthy adult relationship that allows your natural self to emerge, that then you're so much freer in your life to just be who you were born to be. I love that. Just being, you know, being born to who you were meant to be or who you were supposed to be. I, I love that. You know, I, I wonder how many clients, excuse me, come in thinking about that? You know, I, I, you were doing a lot of educating as we were talking here, even how, you know, how we navigate things to just adapting, right? And just those uh, family origin and how much that affects our attachment styles and things like that. And so I, I think people coming in, probably one, not understanding how all that works and probably do a lot of educating about that, but then freeing themselves to be who maybe they were meant to be or who they really feel like they can be is probably more or allowed to be. It's all just so key things, I think, within the therapeutic relationship, for sure. Have you come across some people who was more resistant? Because often if we're brought up in family of origins that were chaotic with maybe parents or caregivers who, were, who maybe abused substances and things like that, sometimes people can still cling to the chaos of, of that type of of living and, and so as adults, they might continue that type of interactions with others. And so do you find that for some people, they might hang on and, and still not allow themselves to be as vulnerable in the therapeutic yeah. relationship with you? Absolutely, you know, and I think that, you know, we, we, those early relational patterns in some ways are survival reactions. They were what we felt we needed to do to survive. Yeah, true. Um, you know, it, it felt really important, perhaps not to express your sadness because mom said, you know, don't cry right. or to not express your anger uh, because dad said, you know, um, 
you know, was threatening if you became angry in some way. Um, so, you know, we learned quickly for whatever reason to tuck away different feelings or all of our feelings mm -hmm. um, and, and to hide ourselves away in that way. And so it, it, isn't, it isn't an easy step to, to walk into an office and to just emote and to just allow things that had to be hidden away to now come out. In fact, for many people, a lot of these things may be even pre-verbal, right? I mean, I mm -hmm. may have had to, if I was in the crib, um, you know, and I began to cry and mom came in and smacked me and said, stop crying. Um, you know, I learned to cry before I even had language to understand what was happening. I have a, a physiological memory. I have an emotional memory, but I don't even necessarily have a cognitive memory that says this is why. So this can be deep and it can be felt in a, almost at a cellular level yeah. that it's not safe to do this. And so when I start to emote, the anxiety quickly kicks in, I'm going to get hit again. Even if I don't think that, my body feels that. Yeah. And so I can't, I almost can't because the angst is there. Right, right, and, for and, sure. You know, and I think as clinicians, what we learn to do is we just learn to, 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 see our, see, see, to see all of our clients as best we can. To see, I see you in what your body is telling me. I see you in what your body language is telling me. I see you in what your face is telling me. Mm -hmm. I see what's happening and what you're telling me verbally, but I'll see you and how you're telling that to me. Yeah. And I'm curious. I'm not, I'm not trying to change you because if I'm trying to change you, I'm implicitly telling you I have to fix you and you're broken. Right. I don't want to change you. I don't have any desire to change you. In fact, I think you're wonderful. And I think the only thing that I would for you is that you could see yourself the way I see you because that would, that would change everything, even though nothing would change in a paradoxical yeah. way. I, um, and so, you know, my desire is simply to be curious, to want to understand, to want to learn, and along the way, um, to help you understand and help you learn as we, under, as, we, as we discover together, right? This is, this is a hand in hand journey. I'm not, yeah. I don't, I don't know the way forward. You know, I mean, I sit in therapy, and I don't know what I'm going to do next. I don't have a script and I pull it up and I, you know, you, you read your line, I read I, my line, you read your line, I read my line. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and that's wonderful because in the unknown, that's when everything can happen. It's, it's when we live the scripted life that we, we, we know how to live and this is how I'm supposed to live and this is what I'm supposed to do, that, we, that, that the possibilities limit themselves. Right? We almost scare ourselves into a narrow script. Right. You know, the hope in therapy is that we love our way into an open door that, is, that becomes over time script free and, and natural. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You bring up a, a point that I do see some clients wanting me just to tell them the answers, you know, or, or thinking I know exactly, you know, it's, it's your life. It's this is where I, I like how you're saying it's a journey together. You're doing this. You're not leading them. You're not telling them. It's a journey through together and walking through that open door and stuff like that. I think that's really yeah. key. Yeah, it's funny uh, when you say that. I, uh, I think of some of the clients that come in. Um, and, you know, they'll come in, they'll sit down and they'll say, you know, I'm depressed. And I'll say, well, well, tell me about that. And they'll say, well, why should I tell you about it? You're supposed to fix it. And I'll say, well, uh, you know, and, and I, I, well, I have to pause and say, let's talk a little bit about therapy. How do you think this works? What, what, what do you think this is? Um, you know, and, and when I train younger clinicians who start, um, who are already a little bit anxious as they begin, you know, I got to get it right. I got to. But we're gonna, you know, you've got to say there's no right. You, you can't get it right because there's no right. 
there's just you and the other person and the relationship. Um, and they said, well, you know, and somebody comes and the hardest thing for young clinicians is when somebody comes in and says, you got to fix me. Um, because then they, they, they think I got to fix you. And, and it's, you know, it's, 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 and the, and the mind is now you're stuck because I don't know how to fix anybody. I, you know, I know how to care for people. I know right. how to support them. Right. I know how to hold their hand, but I don't know how to fix you. Um, so th there is this process from very early on of, it's, of clients come in with that um, belief that that's what therapy is going to be like, of just helping them understand, you know, well, let's talk a little bit about this. And there's this really fascinating thing of, you know, tell me about, can you tell me about why, why you think I need to fix you? What, what, mm -hmm. You know, if you can get there, me and my you might both start there, but it's, it, I'm very curious. Okay, how come I need to fix you? What's that about? Why aren't we why aren't we figuring this out together? You know, what's got what's got that framework there? And oftentimes it's just a I'm so tired of being here. I don't want to be here anymore. I want something to make this better. Mm -hmm. And I'm right there with you. I want something to make this better too. But I think what's going to make it better is us working together to make it better than me somehow giving you the 12 steps to it being magically better because I don't have them. Because there are no 12 steps for everybody. See, I then I, I'm thinking of that prescription they're wanting. Tell me what to do. I want this, this, and this, this and that. And I, I see that a lot online. You know, if you're Googling how to get through a panic attack or how to deal with depression, what you'll find in different blogs and articles or even on TikToks and just different social media is that step-by-step, -step, do this, do that, do this, do that. And then that's that. And I think that... What, what happens I see is that people think, well, these are the things that I have to do. And if it, if it doesn't match them or fit for them, they think, oh, that's it. It's not gonna work for me. Or I am broken because you know I saw this video and it says to do this, this, and that, and it doesn't. So what's wrong with me? So yeah. I- and it, Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, the, there, there's, 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 there's a merit in everything. There's some, there's some truth in everything, right? Yeah. I mean, look, we yeah. take a panic attack, for example. Right? We know that you can't simultaneously have a panic attack and breathe deeply. It's physiologically impossible to do both. Right. So if you start to have a panic attack and you can, so you're breathing down and start to breathe deeply, then if you can't do that, that's really helpful because that will actually interrupt a panic attack sure. and stop it, which is great. Um, and so now you have this little trick technique that's super handy that you can use and it can help you. But if you say, good, now I know how to manage my panic attacks, I'm set. Well, that might be a little bit um, premature um, because there's a question of what causes the panic attacks in the first place right? and what's behind those and what is the underlying anxiety that's built up into those panic attacks and how do we allow you to speak about that and to share that and how do we help you um, understand what's behind it and perhaps there's some, some social anxiety behind it. Perhaps you're very anxious in relationships and whatever it might be. Um, how do we how do we touch into that? And then how do we help support you in shifting the way you engage relationally in a way that allows you to again be freer and not be so scared of just being who you are in the relationship? Right. Um, so there's always that that you know my hope is always for people. Of course, take that short term piece and leverage that to help you in the short term and. Let's also make sure we, we, we take the time that that buys you to do that deeper work so that you can really heal. Yeah. Because I don't want to just put a bandit on internal bleeding. I, I really want to say, okay, well, what's going on in there? 
Mm-hmm. And how do we really, how do we really stop the bleed? Carl, what would you say to someone who hasn't been to therapy before and they're maybe really sitting on the fence and, and maybe not even knowing how to find a therapist, what to look for in a therapist, or even if they need therapy, any recommendations or ideas of what you can tell someone? Yeah, about yeah, it? Two, two, <clears throat> yeah I'd say two things. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing I heard a, a long time ago on a talk, uh, I think it was a TED talk I heard maybe 15 years ago or so, this, this, this really sweet psychologist was just talking about how, um, you know, um, I'm going to paraphrase him, but, you know, how if, you, if, if somebody had a broken leg um, and they just started hopping on one foot all the time and you said, you know, you go to a doctor and they could fix that broken leg and the guy would say, oh, no, I'm fine. I can hop around. I can still manage. You'd say, that guy is nuts. I mean, what, you know, what is he doing hop around on a broken leg? all the time go with the doctor get a cast on that thing and you know a few weeks down the road you know you'll be able to to walk on both legs and it'll feel so much better than hopping the whole time but we don't think of brokenheartedness that way right right? we have all these people who are brokenhearted in different ways um you know we all suffer i mean part of the buddha said it right i mean part of life is suffering um and um you know we all suffer and we all carry our you know, our pain and our wounds and our losses. Um, and for so many of us, we just then have to hurry on to the next thing. We've got to make dinner. We've got to get to work. We've got to do whatever the next thing is. And we don't, we don't stop and take the time to heal that brokenheartedness the way we would stop to heal that broken life. Um, and what I would say to people is just like it feels so much better to walk than to hop with a broken leg, it feels so much better to live in an open-hearted way that comes from doing your healing work and to live in a broken-hearted way that comes from not doing that work. Mm-hmm. And so I would say to everybody, myself included, you know, that therapy is a wonderful gift to have a relationship that is focused on healing your brokenheartedness by by in a very meaningful way. And I'm going to use this word again in a in a hopefully health inappropriate way, but by, by, by having people love your help you love your way through it. Um, and there's tremendous meaning and tremendous richness in that experience, in that process. My life has been dramatically changed by my own experiences in therapy. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm remarkably grateful for it. I would not be the person I am today, uh, if it were not for the experience that I had in, in with somebody that really cared for me. Um, and I'm really grateful to the person that did the, the person and people that, that did that with me. And so I think, you know, it's always hard to start something new. Transitions are always difficult. Uh, But, um, you know, when you transition into something that's worth it, man, you're really glad you did it. Um, And I think this is one of those things that, you know, it's a function of, you know, um, just going ahead, making the call, you know, insurances cover therapy now. you know, letting, letting hopefully the fiscal costs be uh, carried as much as possible by your insurance and um, just getting the, the care, the love, the support that you, that you so deserve. And it's right there waiting for you. Mm-hmm. And go and see. You know, if it doesn't feel right, um, you know, then pro- see if you can process it with that person. If you can, go try somebody else. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I think it's key that good therapeutic match there too. If you're not feeling comfortable, 
that's okay. Seek out someone who you're feeling more comfortable to talk to and to share. I agree. I, I think sometimes people don't realize that, that you know, it's, it's okay to interview therapists to see if you guys are a good match to work together. That's important. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Carl, do you have other, I guess we'll just, as we look to wind down, just takeaways you can share with our listeners, our viewers about the process of relationships in, in mental health and just the importance of them, specifically with, in therapy. Yeah. You know, if I could say something to anybody watching the show, it would be that you're enough, that you're okay, um, that, that there's nothing wrong with you, um, that you may be having struggling or having a hard time in some way, um, and that's all right, that's human, um, and that you don't most, that you don't have to be alone, um, and that there are people that want to go through it with you, um, and that they're really worth finding. Um, you know, and that's everyone from family to friends to to the therapist that you either already have or hopefully will have soon enough. Uh, that's what I'd say. Right. That's great. That's beautiful, Carl. Thank you. Thank you again for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. And I'd love to have you on again soon. No, thanks so much. Really appreciate the chance to be here, Nikki. You take care.